and welcome to another edition of the Modern Times Podcast, Political Profundity with John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hi, Karen. Hi there. Today we have five topics, GOP meeting on tax reform, uh, the Niger controversy, uh, Devin Nunes going after Clinton, and I assume that's Hillary. Um, of course, who else would it be? Uh, uh, the... I, and I will say it in my best Donald Trump impersonation, Puerto Rico, disaster aftermath, questionable contracts, oh, and man. oh wait, NAFTA negotiations. Yeah, yes. we got that going on. That's also a big elephant in the room. Karen, it's been uh, maybe, what is it, two weeks since our last podcast. There hasn't mm-hmm. been a absence of controversy. Um, and With this administration, why, no. Are you no, sh- not at all. <laughs> Are you shocked? Is anyone shocked? Uh, no, not if they're living or breathing at any kind of level. No, they're not shocked. That's what their stock and trade is. However, uh, that is the Trump administration. However, so. um, one you know, a lot of folks are finding some things shocking about uh, some of the proposals that have been floated on tax reform. Our first topic of the day. Um, mm-hmm. The GOP is kind of meeting again like they did under healthcare. It seems like maybe slightly more transparent, but it's still coming out. Um, they're still talking about a lot of things. Nothing's really written down yet. Um, the first thing I want to ask you about is the potential um, hit to the 401 saving, uh, 401k savings accounts. Um, seems like a lot of blowback on that. That seems like a, a, a non-starter when it actually comes to uh, you know getting it passed, don't you think? I agree. I I know, and again, there's nothing written here per se. There was talk about that the the GOP wanted to limit the types of contributions people could make in terms of their 401k and or the deductions they could take. Now, for most Americans who are working full-time or some even who are part-time, a 401k is their retirement. Obviously, we are long past the era of of really uh, promised pensions or just Social Security or other types of uh, quote-unquote entitlements, although people work and pay taxes for them. So the entitlement argument in my mind is is, uh, that's a questionable narrative. But to do that, to propose such a thing, to me, just I, I think most people's reaction was, are you insane? Are you kidding? Uh, one thing for sure that I think will really piss off an awful lot of middle-class voters, even more than a few that got Donald Trump so-called elected, <laughs> is when you start messing with their retirement. It's like Social Security now. It's another third rail. Uh-huh. Uh, it's one of the things that made 401ks, that are, and they're certainly not without risk, as, well, much of anything is these days, but... One thing that made 401 case so appealing, obviously, are these tax deductions and are the fact that people can control how much they put into it. And, and, uh, and you know, having a 401k myself, as does my husband, as you might, and I'm sure many others in your life, this is just something that, that seems like a non-starter. And I, that the GOP is that tone deaf or that desperate to somehow get this done so they can give the wealthy a tax break if that's the goal here, and again, there seems to be no real indication as to why, unless somebody else has heard something, and I'd love to hear it, as to why they'd want to do this, again, it's just absolutely jaw-dropping to me. Now, reportedly, the president has been flip-flopping on this, uh, given he ran his whole campaign on the quote-unquote forgotten man. Um, 
and I, I suppose if he if, if he goes along with it, I have a feeling that base support of his is going to drop past thirty seven percent. So that that's one of the more I think just alarming and outrageous things about it. Now, uh, some other proposals which we've seen, according to a Business Insider article from yesterday. Republicans are considering keeping the top tax rate for people earning over a million a year at 39.6% by creating another tax bracket in their reform plan. Now, they, they, the analysts say that this is trying to blunt criticism from Democrats, that their whole tax reform is little more than a massive tax cut for the very wealthy. Uh, however, there are problems with that because the Republicans, so I'm willing to bet Paul Ryan is one of them, uh, may not be on board with that idea. Uh, it, it seems to me, again, I, I've been following this, but I really don't see any real tax reform here in any of this. And please call me out if I'm wrong. The last time we had legitimate tax reform in this country was in 1986. And you had a solid plan in which President Reagan and the, then the overwhelming majority of Democrats, who of course control both houses of Congress, uh, agreed upon. Now, was it necessarily perfect for everyone? No. But it was legitimate. And there were honest brokers in it. I'm not sure we're seeing much of any of that today in the majority party. And given the president's, I suspect Donald Trump doesn't understand one single thing about it, other than the only thing he gives a damn about is how this might benefit his family. Uh, but he's not going to be any kind of legitimate player in this. Yeah, other than and to constantly tweet about it and perhaps take a, a stand on the 401k situation in favor of leaving it as as is, even though I seriously doubt he really gets a damn right. what happens to people who have 401ks either. So again, we're seeing no plan that the GOP is meeting right now with Trump, and that, that whole thing has been complicated by the tensions between him and Senator Bob Corker right. of Tennessee, who is retiring and is, is becoming more brazen. Well, brazen may not be the right word here, but he's definitely becoming more forward with his criticisms of the president. Sure. Obviously, he sees Trump as unfit and, and not in, in any shape to be leading this country. Right. Uh, of course, the funny thing is, will be if Trump actually votes, I'm, I'm sorry, not Trump, Corker, votes for this, given this is why some people are highly skeptical of him, given that he's voted for most of Trump, what Trump wanted, be it cabinet appointees or Supreme right, Court right, justice right. or much of anything else, including the, the failed ACA repeal. But this whole meeting today, which also a minor thing, somebody was screaming Trump treason at him and Mitch McConnell as they walked past in the, the Capitol building. Uh, you know, this whole thing, I, I think Bob Corker is right about one thing. He called it a photo op. We'll see what actually comes out of it. But, you know, the GOP, I think, is going to have an extraordinarily hard time selling, even if they don't have any of these crazy 401k ideas. They're going to have a really hard time selling a big tax break for the wealthy to most voters. I, can, I don't think whatever voters may want these days, that's one of the things they that they're interested in is seeing the rich pay less taxes. Not necessarily soaking them, but the, the idea is, you know, fair is fair and leave certain things alone. And that's my, I stand on this. I mean, again, I need to see a, a real plan. I don't think we've seen one. Yeah. And what you were saying about 1986 was a different situation. That's, this is my take. Um, you know, taxes were at levels for nearing, you know, Cold War, World War II rates. Um, when you get to that point on a curve, then, you know, maybe it can do a little bit of good. The biggest thing I just want to bring up is the difference between the idea that 
raising or lowering taxes incents, um, uh, incentivizes the economy um, has kind of proven to be not true when you get to the level that our rates are at now. If you want to pay for certain things, I don't like taxes as much as anyone else, but you have to understand that there has to be some. Um, we don't get, um, we can't run these wars and support this military and our social programs without them. Um, and uh, just like what happened in Kansas, where they were able to do all their tax cuts, and just like what's happening in Arizona now, um, they did corporate tax cut, and now they're having maybe a $1 billion uh, deficit. Uh, Arizona's a little behind Kansas, but the, um, um, you know, it's going to be coming up to pay the bill. Um, you can't end up cutting taxes so much that you can't do anything and you can't actually run your government. It doesn't work that way. They don't automatically translate into bigger receipts, which is what is, uh, um, you know, the whole Trump, you know, tax plan sits on top of is that they're going to be able to pay for it by increased economic activity, which I think is a, a flawed philosophy. Um, th that's my two cents on the whole thing. I agree with you on 401k on top of everything else. Um, but um, the philosophy is flawed that at this point where rates are now, a massive tax cut is not going to incentivize the economy. It'll only um, make uh, the, you know, the money that the government has to spend go down. It's not going to make it actually end up going up, which is what they want you to believe at this point. So, you know, that's my two minutes. Yeah, I, the only other thing I want to say, remember the last time this was done when during when George W. Bush first came into office and you had a, a massive tax cut that was supposed to really stimulate the economy. Well, maybe it worked until it didn't. We all know what happened in 2008. And really, you know, the economic roller coaster began in 2006 when the real estate market collapsed. And, and you know, there were other factors as to why that happened. But again, a lot of this can be traced back to a misguided tax break. That in the long run didn't really create one thing for sure you can say about the Bush administration, whatever economic successes may have occurred, it certainly didn't create a boom in jobs. So if the no, Republicans and, are trying to make that argument. Yeah, but we're also talking I about, had, you know, the really negative impact that it had on deficits because uh, well, with running a war and and also cutting taxes, you know, everyone likes to say that the deficit was highest under Obama than any other president. Well, that same thing was true for George W. Bush and um at least Obama did it because when you're, you know, the, 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 the modern economic thought is that when you hit a recession, government spends. Um, and so that's why you don't, um, when you're supposedly having good times, you don't just cut your taxes so low that you have nothing. Um, so, again, I mean, there's all kinds of sides to this debate, but really the philosophy of, of tax cuts at this point is flawed. Um, what Can there be tweaks that can be done in order to, um, you know, you know, kind of handle the way that we have offshore profits. I think so. Is it that you're supposed to be giving all these tax cuts to everyone, including people that make in excess of two hundred thousand dollars a year? I don't, I don't, I just don't think that that's a long-term strategy. And you really have to go and dive into the minutia, as we know that our um, our dear leader doesn't like to do. And um, you, you really have to find out exactly um, who needs the incentive in order to spend. And who doesn't? And we know that, you know, millionaires don't need any more incentive to spend. Um, they're going to do it whether they need it or not. Companies that have a are solidly in the black and have a lot of revenue coming in don't need to be incented to build um, anything. Um, they're there already. So, um, 
you know, I don't know. Um, I just, you know, really don't want to see uh, my children paying for it um, just because, um, you know, some folks want a little bit off of their tax break, you know, off their tax rolls right now. Um, right. Uh, you got a closing comment or can we move on to Niger? Well, I, again, I, we'll see this meeting so far that the GOP is having with Trump. And I'm not, I don't think it's over yet, but it, it seems like it's already been, you know, not exactly moving up to what anybody was expecting or hoping when you have a party on one side that is so focused on giving tax breaks to the wealthiest Americans without any relief for the middle class or the lower working class, when you have a Democratic Party that is unified pretty much right now, but, you know, really you have a party that is absolutely clueless in messaging, and then you have a president who simply lacks the intellect and or the real interest in doing anything of legitimate Good. Um, yeah, again, I, I just don't, I, I, I'll be shocked if something good comes out of it. We'll see. Yeah, my, In fact, my... according, according to Kyle Griffin at Twitter, let me just say one more thing, and Kyle Griffin is with MSNBC's Last Word. Bob Corker tells reporter that, quote-unquote, tax reform barely came up in Trump's lunch with Republican senators. Yeah, I think we all know where this is going. Yeah, probably nowhere. That's my, and, you know. And again, he got the fact, and maybe they invited Democrats, and I, I can't blame some Democratic senators for not wanting to show up, but I get a funny feeling Democrats were left out of this. And it would be every bit as unfair if Hillary Clinton were president, was going to discuss tax reforms with the Senate, and just invited Democratic senators. I think by saying, hey, wait a minute, I know they're not our biggest fans, but you need to have Republicans involved in this too. Again, you have a president who's incompetent and and just mentally unfit. You have a Republican Party that doesn't really want to wake up to some ugly realities on this. Um, you know, at the end of the day, voters, I, I will say, people need to be paying attention to this and make it clear to their lawmakers, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, that if you're not doing something to really benefit the average American, you're going to be hearing from us next year. Well, from... Um, the fire into the frying pan. Um, <laughs> our um, our dear leader, President Trump, uh, stepped into one with uh, the incident that happened in Niger now um, nearly a month ago, I guess. Um, four servicemen um, were killed doing very shady, I would say shady, only because we don't know what's going on. Very unknown details going on, what uh, special forces are doing in Africa asked about that um, ends up starting to brag about um, calling everybody so then ends up calling trying to call everybody and forcing it just to prove the media wrong and he ends up getting stuck in something else what goes back to it though I thought it was interesting was that the initial question was what's going on and I think that's what people really want to get to so did Trump successfully take the topic off what happened did he, by, 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 by focusing on the, I'm calling people, or did it even shine a light more on what happened because most people weren't paying attention to it anyway? And then what I do think, you think about what he did? Yeah. Well, inadvertently, he might have driven the attention away from what led to the, the, the deaths of these four brave men. But now, you know, you're hearing more and more from not only the pundit class, but from lawmakers what the hell are we doing there? What is the goal? Who's there? Who are we working with? Who are the bad actors, et cetera, so forth? I mean, you saw the other day Senator Lindsey Graham, who is 
a former military man, of course, and, and is one of Trump's enablers, but, you know, also oddly peppers that with the occasional criticism. He didn't know that we had anybody there in Niger. Or Niger, I guess you pronounced that the way correct. Forgive me. Um, and I'm sure I'm going to slaughter it about ten times the next week. We've been there now for about two decades in Africa, because like any military conflict, when you're dealing now with a stateless organizations that are terrorist-based, such as ISIS or Boko Haram or many others we could mention, there's not going to be a quick and easy war, because we're talking about a war of ideas mixed with fanaticism, mixed with poverty, and a whole other, a lot of other things that go into this extraordinarily toxic stew, where sadly a lot of innocent people are, you know, harmed by it, be they people in Africa or, you know, Americans or anyone else. But again, I think if anything, this was even a less of a victory for Trump in that respect, because the Niger issue is not going away. Uh, and you did see yesterday, I don't know if you watched it, Marine General Joseph Dunford, who's chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And unlike John, General John Kelly, knows how to act like a proper adult, you know, explain to reporters what happened and, and said that Americans need, deserve to know, especially the families of these fallen soldiers, need to know exactly what happened. And he said himself, you know, we still don't have a lot of details about this. And he asked for some patience and said, look, we're going to try to find out everything we can. I think he handled that extraordinarily well. Um, again, compared to General Kelly, who we all watched just completely flush his credibility down the toilet on Thursday when he went after Frederica Wilson. Uh, I, I just thought it was a very strange rant he went off on. And, of course, I'm sure Trump probably pressured him to do it. But, again, it doesn't, it doesn't help this administration's cause at all. Uh, and... Once again, I go back to bad actors involved here. And when you have that, you're just not going to have any consistency or any decency. Um, you know, from what we understand, that basically they were there on this mission, which, again, unless you know something, I don't, and, it, you know, was not clear. After the men were attacked, an hour went by before French fighter jets arrived, but they couldn't take them out until later in the afternoon. Uh and, and then, you know, the bodies of the Green Berets who were killed were evacuated later that evening. I, I'm not even sure that's that big of an issue, given sort of the logistics of military transport. Again, I think a bigger problem for Trump is why it took him so long to say anything at all. Um, you can argue just because he really doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, I mean, I think it's, if you would have asked, I think, nine out of ten Americans before, um, all of this started coming up, whether there was troops in Africa um, or even 800, which is, I guess, is what has been reported recently, that there's 800 right. troops supporting the French mission um, in Africa. Most people wouldn't know that that was going on. Um, and, and, you know, I, I just think it's, it's, it's very interesting to kind of, you know, find out that we're, you know, sending people to fight, you know, you know quote unquote, terrorists all over the world. Um, and 50 of them can come up and, you know, and kill four servicemen. It ends up, you know, it's the same, it's the same question, I guess, we have, you know, whether the philosophy that, that the, uh, a lot of folks in the military and in, um, you know, Republican circles have pushed since 2001 is go fight them where they're at instead of having them come fight us where we are. It's a, it's a lot easier for us to 
you know, kind of pick up the war and say, well, we're going to make you fight in the middle of a desert in the, in the, in the middle of Africa. Um, and, you know, it's, it, it, you know, keeps it away from the homeland. Um, that's part of homeland security. And I don't, you know, I guess that's, a, I think that's a debate that, you know, America hasn't ever had. And, and when you're talking about, like you said, one of these non-state wars where we're fighting, you know, we could be fighting terrorism for the next 10,000 years if we want to, you know, kind of keep the same approach up. Um, it's, it's, it's just, I, I think it's very interesting. And at least there's been attention put to what we're doing. I mean, it, you have 800 service people there. Um, you, you, you have to figure eventually someone's going to be, um, wounded and killed in action. Um, it's going to happen. Um, and whether we want to put them there, I guess, is the debate that Americans should be having because as, has also been come, has also been brought to the fore in this debate is, we still have civilian control over our military, so we should be questioning what their choices are. And, and and especially in these kinds of situations where we're deciding to export war because we feel like there's terrorists in an area. Um, you know, the whole thing seems, you know, rather, rather sad. I mean, you know, um, you know, that country is not known for its, uh, it's a, you know, strong middle class, shall we say, um, it's a, it's a tough place to be, I think, you know, and we have, you know, a first world nation going to a third world country and, 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 you know, and, you know, perpetuating bloodshed. I, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily know whether that's the answer, but, you know, the only good thing I see coming out of it is that the discussion has started. I don't know. How do you feel right. about it? And that maybe it educates Americans a little more about what's going on in Africa. I, you know, I, I look, do I know much about Niger? No, I do not. Um, and I, I think that reflects how most people, uh, most where most people stand on it. We just don't know a lot about this nation. Obviously, it has been, you know, it's an important player in the battle against terrorism. But, uh, you know, again, we're dealing with whether it's unclear sometimes who really is our ally there. I'm not talking about the government, but maybe, you know, perhaps other organizations affiliated with the government there. And I, I, we're just we're going to have to learn a lot more about what happened in early October. Uh, but I, I just think that Trump's sitting here sparring with the family of one of those killed. It's it's not helping anything. It, and I think, again, his attempt is to maybe to divert attention to perhaps what responsibility his administration may have had in this. We just don't know what it did, but it, it's just not helping anything. Yeah. You know what the difference was between the, certainly should be remembered for their, you know, their bravery and their, their sacrifice. Oh, sure. I mean, I, you know, as part of what the U S government is now, um, and, and, and I mean that as far as our military is when we go out, it's, it's never, when we're questioning, we should never question the soldiers or or their dedication. It always should be whether our again our civilian leaders made the right choices in deploying them. Um, but you know, it 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 does seem you know, Niger is not a a a place that the French don't know about. Okay, it was one that they ran as a colonial. Um, you know the you know as part of their their empire until 1958, and it's just been. You know, kind of one of those, uh, you know, former former satellite systems. It's like, you know, we remember what happened in Vietnam, right? I mean, it was another, you know, French failure. Um, and it doesn't seem like much changed in Niger. Um, a bunch of military regimes, um, you know, and um, it's, 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 you know, there's, a re there's been a republic since 
um, you know, 2010. I, again, I don't know much about it besides what I can read online. It's not like something I followed, but it's, you know, it's very interesting that they're leading the, um, you know, the solution there is is the French government and, and what kind of relations we've had. We saw that, that you know, Trump met with them. It would be interesting to see what, what's, what's been different since, um, you know, two, three years ago. Um, and, you know, I think that's yeah. something we haven't talked about. I mean, it wasn't part of the you know, presidential election uh, cycle. Um, it hasn't really been in the news. I think the last thing was uh, um, in what, 2002 with the, uh, you know, yellow cake coming out of Africa. I think that's the last time we've talked really about Africa as being a place where we were, you know, ha- you know, sending people to fight and die. And I, you know, it's, it's, again, I'm just happy that we're talking about it. So it becomes a situation right. where we're not, you know, we know we're in the Middle East. We know we're in different places, but you know, we have we have special forces on the ground in Africa. Um, you know, I think it's important for us to know and for us to maybe debate in uh, in in the next election cycle. I totally agree with you. Speaking of elections, this is off script. Uh, you may have already seen this. Jeff Flake is not seeking re-election. No. FYI, out there to our listeners, something for us to talk about soon. Sorry, I don't mean to throw everything off. Well, there you go, Karen. You're throwing a wrench in our whole thing. We have a story ready to post about Jeff Flake. According to AD Central, so it says he will not seek re-election in 2018, citing the nastiness of Trump-era GOP politics. I guess it's okay to mention that, given we talked about Barb Corker. We're living in very strange times, people. And for those of you who think that this podcast is completely scripted, we've proven you wrong. (laughs) There's your breaking news, folks, at any rate. Holy yeah, moly. No, I, just, I hope, again, if anything good comes out of the tragedy uh, in early October in Niger, is that people are better informed on what our forces are doing in these countries. All right. So just because I can't really stand looking or talking about um, a congressman from your state of California, Devin Nunes, uh, for very long <laughs> because he kind of just yeah. – uh, he reminds me of somebody I knew in, like, middle school uh, and acts about the same way. <laughs> there's, there's pictures of him from high school. <laughs> Yeah, that early 90s look, I, I hate to be catty, but just, that just wasn't working on Devin. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it didn't work for most of us who were, who were actually um, driving and, and hanging out at the very time. Very true. Uh, yes. I'm glad that, I, that, that no one cares to look at mine. Um, but, um, <laughs> Same here. Nobody would want to look at mine either. So he's still, um, uh, you know, kind of railing, going off the rails, just, you know, Acting like the insurgency is still going on under the Obama administration, trying to, you know, it's like the same old, same old. Um, and now he's going after Hillary Clinton again. Um, mm. All right. Me, she did not Qu- win quick the thoughts, because election. I can't. Quick, I, she didn't win the Electoral College, right? This woman know, is not the president the last time I checked. No, but she's a bad, bad, bad woman. <laughs> uh, well, a, a majority of three million plus voters did not agree with that. You know, that was, and, that was sarcasm, Yes, of course. <laughs> just, you know, just in case. <laughs> no, but I mean, you know, here here they go again. Also, you know, supposed to be recused. He says it's just this thing, just just this specific thing. He's going to come back. He's still sending out uh, subpoenas. Um, you know, uh, does the guy know, no, you know, does he have any, 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 any shame? Um well, look, we all know who Devin Nunez answers to. It's not the people of his own district. It's not the American people in general. This guy is little more, I want to be very careful, he's nothing more than a craven enabler of Donald Trump. It's, it's just so blatantly obvious why they're doing this now. 
It's because Donald Trump still remains in a lot of trouble. There are a lot of questions over how much he or his administration may have colluded with the Russians. Um, you know, he's doing this to throw attention, to pull attention away from Trump's woes, and it's not going to work. Yeah, it'll make news today. It'll probably get on a lot of the mainstream media cable shows, especially Fox. They'll go nuts with this. Um, but, it, you know, the Russian uranium deal, there's been so much misinformation put out about it that it's not even funny. Uh, for example, according to the Daily Beast, Nunez claims that he's been looking into this for the last several months. If any, the Hill did report that the FBI is investigating a bribery plot among Russian nuclear officials before President Obama approved the deal, approved it, which gave Moscow a majority stake in a firm owing, owning much of the, of the American uranium. But there's no evidence that Clinton knew anything about that and whether it even exists, although Nunez you know, says that's why they're doing this probe, um, but again, the timing of this just seems extraordinarily funky. And what about and, the timing that really gets you just because of the whole Russian after. investigation? The wanna, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm, I'm just saying, do you think the timing is about what's, you know, the, the speed is picking up on the Russian investigation, so now he's trying to deflect and is that, is that I the timing? Suspect, yes, there may be more going on. Look, Robert Mueller, if nothing else, you can say he has kept a lot of this very close to the vest. There aren't leaks coming out of his team, um, for which he deserves credit, because you know that shouldn't be happening. But given Nunez's, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but given Nunez's, the actions that he took earlier this year, for example, going over to the White House and informing Trump things, he is not a legitimate actor in this. He should not be involved with any investigation. Even one, you know, it, even if it's involving Trump, he should not be involved, period. He should totally recuse himself from this. But I think this just shows this man has no ethics and no desire other than to protect Donald Trump. If it turns out there were bad actors in the uranium deal, okay, fine. They should be dealt with, but to the full extent of the law. But this just seems like one of these talking points for the GOP that for I see no real evidence on that would have any weight some comes up again okay then those who are responsible for it need to be held accountable i'll just say this anytime you're dealing with russia and corporations there most likely there's corruption on their side newsflash yeah you know either accept that or don't and understand the players right um and that's just how it is in that country now i'm sorry to say with all due respect and with no offense to the overwhelming majority of Russian people themselves. But that is just the nature of that country, given who its president is. I, you know, I don't know what more to say. Uh, you know, in the minds of many people now, Russia is no longer a legitimate player on the world stage either. So, well, you know, I, I suspect a lot of this is just going to blow up and, and crumble and dissolve. But, but we'll see. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's, just, you know, it's just embarrassing how obvious... This looks to people outside of the bubble that Nunez and his ilk live in. Yeah, you know, at some point you gotta just tell them, well, then go ahead. I mean, there, it doesn't seem to be um, anything there, and there's also a difference when you're um, not the president anymore, or you're not in office, you're not the Secretary of State. You know, I mean, I know that that's that's one of the nice things about about uh, Obama and 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 Clinton. Now they go, okay. 
well, it's not going to hurt me politically. Um, you know, it's not going to make it hard for me to win the presidency because, you know, as we probably know, Hillary's done. Um, you know, I don't think she can run again. Um, obviously, Obama can't run again. Nor should so, she. So, so <laughs> no. yeah, well, I mean, my point, though, is, is that, you know, when you're talking about what's going on um, with the Russia investigation, um, that's maybe somebody trying to be elected by a foreign government, which is why it's important. Um, and the, you don't, he's the president right now. So you say, are you legitimate? Um, and, and where do your loyalties lie? Because you have the ability to, to affect policy. Now, I don't think that one, that, 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 that Obama wanted to make sure that Russians had control of nuclear material, but two, you know, you're, it's, it's kind of like saying, you know, the one person who, 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 who has the second largest hen house in the county, um, needs to get rid of all of their hens. Like, like you can't sell them any eggs, um, because they're going to, you know, you know, corner the market. Um, it's not like they don't have natural supplies, um, or that they already don't have enough that they can, I mean, there's more nuclear weapons as there are. I know that Russia doesn't have the kind of resources we do, but there's, you know, tons of uranium still in the Southwest, as we know, around the Grand Canyon area. There's a lot there if we ever really want it, but we have more nuclear material than we need. Um, you know, we could talk about how dangerous nuclear weapons are, but then again, it always goes back to me to the same thing. If once we let that, that genie out of the bottle, it's kind of hard. We're on a path to self-destruction and it only takes the strength of human beings to stop that from happening. Um, Correct. And, you know, I, I mean, if, if you really had to boil this down, this is not only about Nunez wanting to protect Trump. It's, of course, to satisfy the base of that party that the GOP is really going to need to come out next year. If you're looking at election patterns and you're looking at polls today, the Democrats would take back the House and they might even, although I'll believe that when I see it, they might even take back the Senate. Uh, so got to keep this base who passionately despises Hillary Clinton Barack Obama and anything to do with his presidency, they've got to keep them happy and keep throwing them red meat. So again, we'll see how legitimate this this investigation is. I'm I'm not holding my breath, and I suspect it's going to probably take them places they're not going to want to go. If you know what I mean. I mean, so, you know, I mean, I you know, it 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 comes down to that argument. The same thing with the whole Clinton Foundation. They've they've you know, Republicans have been in love with it, and you know to to. Bill Clinton did a pretty amazing thing um, initially. You know, you saw all the good he did. I mean, I mean, the way that that went to money to stop people from being sick, from being dying. He took people from rich people. He took money from rich people and gave it to those people who couldn't do other things and made an international way for people to come together and help areas that needed to be helped across the world. And it ends up being almost like the largest Achilles heel ever because people just said, well, you took this money. Well, they didn't care who they took the money from because they knew they were going to spend it in the right spot. So if they're going to take a million dollars from somebody who might be a little reprehensible, they say, well, screw it. And they're not going to compromise their principles. You really think that Hillary Clinton was going to say, well, I want money for the Clinton Foundation so I can spend it on poor people and I'm going to I'm going to screw the United States government and make it so that you know Russians can have access to uranium. I don't, I just don't, I just don't buy it. And that's what it really comes down to um, is, you know, you're questioning almost, you know, you talk about people's patriotism, um, their love for this country. 
and then you're basically saying that your secretary of state sold sold a, um, U.S. interests out for some cash for a for a nonprofit group that doesn't even enrich her. And people can say that it does, but you know she she can go and do a, you know three speeches a year and have more money than she needs. You know, this is not people that needed to do that in order to make money. They're already famous and rich. They can do whatever they want if they just want to be richer. Um, you right. know, it's not I, about I think the money. It gets into an argument that uh, just about the wealthy and charity and philanthropy that uh, it's an extraordinarily complicated subject. Now, do we like that organizations like the Clinton Foundation, which in general has a pretty good reputation? Yes, that's right, haters. It really does like it or not. And we can criticize Bill Clinton as a president all we want, and God knows he deserves some of it. Um, but, you know, you want to get into this argument about how pure each source should be for the money now. Do we want foundations taking money from mass murderers or true oligarchs or serial killers? No. And that's why each foundation needs to make sure there are ironclad rules on where the money comes from and who the actors involved are. That's on a case-by-case basis. And be it a conservative organization or one that's more liberal-leading or what have you, yes, there are ethics and guidelines they all need to be following. Um, again, that's that's a whole other subject that I think we could talk about for some time. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, just, you know, my last c- comments on that is what Carter did um, was amazing with Habitat for Humanity, um, you know, and Clinton tried to step it up a level, and he did. Um, and... It's, it, it is really a shame, I think, that it's been, you know, you know, you know, taken the way that it is. Um, but then again, it, it, it was the wrong choice, I think, to do that sort of thing. And they should have known it, especially if Hillary was still interested in doing other things. Because I, you know, right. when, when, when he first started it, there wasn't really an idea that she would ever be Secretary of State or run for president twice. Um, you know, it, it might have been out there. She might have thought that, but I don't think it was really in the public discourse and i don't know whether bill actually thought that i mean who knows i would think that he didn't i would think that 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 wasn't the idea that he had because they knew what kind of they should have known what what it would open them up to um and when you're you know in that situation it's hard um i think to to not have a look of impropriety when when you're trying to run something so big um and you have so many people doing it but again i you know you know, whether we think people's heart are in the right place or whether they're trying to do the right thing, I think, is, is where it is. And, you know, I just don't see I don't see ex-President Trump trying so hard to help help people in third world countries and that are underserved. And, and, and it's especially then, hilarious, given the Trump Foundation or whatever bogus thing he claims to have has done next to nothing of any merit to on any type of serious social problem. So, again, like I said, the Democrats, I mean, the Democrats, the Republicans can pursue this on on the uranium deal, but I have a funny feeling that's going to end up in a place where they don't want to be. Yeah, and it's like everything else. I might be wrong on that, but you know what? I'm going to stand by that. So, go ahead, do it. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, uh, the more investigations, the better. Um, Let's let's bring them out, Um, especially when, 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 you know. We all want to find out what's going on, so investigating something isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, I, I mean, look what happened with Bill Clinton. They investigated him just to try to get stuff out, and he eventually ended up serving two terms anyway, and he's not thought of very horribly because the only really horrible thing they found out is that 
he he's a little bit of a uh, womanizer. A horn dog. Like no yeah, one knew well, that you know, ahead of here's time. Here's the news flash on that. Twenty five years ago, before we had that presidential election, most voters knew that Bill Clinton wasn't, shall we say, the most responsible individual when it came to his personal behavior. However, they liked his message that it was time to expand the American dream. And I'm not saying that turned out perfectly. It most certainly didn't. But they liked that message that it was time for other people who worked hard and played by the rules, and I know that's a cliche by now, to benefit in this economy. And again, the haters may not like this, but in general, that worked, just like it did during Ronald Reagan's tenure. There were drawbacks, of course. And that's why to this day, Bill Clinton, like him or not, is still a much more popular president than Donald Trump is ever going to be. Oh, yeah. And that's where fans, that's just the hard, cold reality. Deal with it. And that's where (laughs) and that's and that's and that's where I think Hillary lost the election, too, is that Donald um, had the flag wrapped around his campaign and whoever does wins. And I think Obama had the same thing. He, He even beat John McCain where he could wrap the flag around him better than McCain could because McCain's was a little, uh, shall we say, wrapped in gold. Um, you know, him, his uh, marrying a, uh, no, you know, no matter what he did in the war, and again, we, we've talked about how every, you know, McCain goes up and down, and eventually, you know, right now he's, 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 he's uh, a legend. But, um, yeah. you know, Obama wrapped the American dream um, up better than McCain did, I think, and and that, that's and, very true. And that's how he went in two thousand eight. And that's usually the the successful candidate. Um, yep. You know, Carter got it in seventy uh, six because he was saying, "Hey, um, I'm not Richard Nixon." Anyway, on to our last two, um, and and these are, are you know we're kind of touching base on stuff we've talked about before. Um, the whole situation that's going on in Puerto Rico is um, still kind of languishing with us. Now new information has come out that a big Donald Trump supporter is kind of given a sweetheart deal for repairing the power grid. Hmm. Shades of the contracting uh, abyss in Iraq back in the early 2000s. Um, will that be investigated by Devin Nunes? Um, somehow I'm not holding my on that. Um, I I think maybe most people there, it's starting to trend a little bit in news coverage that uh, Puerto Rico is going to, it's agreed to pay 300 million for restoration of its power grid to the small utility privately financed by a private equity firm, which is founded and run by a man who contributed large sums of money to wait for it. Donald Trump, according to a daily beast investigation, the company's called whitefish energy holdings. It has a reported staff of two people. Yeah, that sounds like a major player in the contracting hey, world, huh? Karen, we should have uh, we, Karen, we should have tried to get that contract. I absolutely. You, you know, know, I mean, just, with all of our experience, and uh, have no real skills or credibility, but you know, you'll get you'll get your contract. <laughs> uh, this company, by all accounts, doesn't seem properly prepared to handle the task of getting electricity on again for three million people in Puerto Rico. Um, much larger scale utilities, according to the Daily Beast, are, are you know commonly used following natural disasters. And again, this is nothing against small businesses. If they really have honest intentions and can do the job, great. I am all for that. But this again, this just seems like yet another piece of an extraordinarily corrupt administration. Uh, according to this article that the firm is Whitefish, it was founded by a man named Joe Colonetta. Uh, he gave a lot of money to the Trump campaign. 
His wife is also uh, involved with donating to the RNC, the Republican National Committee. And it said that the Whitefish chief executive officer is friends with the administration's interior secretary, Ryan Zinke. And one more thing, Whitefish is located in what state? I bet you can guess where it is, John. Speaking uh, of Zinke. Uh, no. Maryland. Whitefish, Montana. Oh. Um, I, I, you know, again, that no one in the Trump administration, unless they really didn't have a clue, that they don't see how bad this looks, given the memories of the contracting mess that started in Iraq after we went in there and overthrew Saddam Hussein. That continued to haunt the Bush administration, as we recall, for most of, of his presidency. This, again, this, this whole deal looks, bad pun intended here, fishy. Right. And, you and know, also, I... just Puerto Rico, the other thing I want to say, that country still is lacking in basic services right now. It seems like the most horrible period, we hope, is over. But just the callousness with which the Trump administration has addressed, you know, our, our fellow American territories' needs is, I mean, it's astonishing. It really is. Now, also what the Daily Beast reported was that this company is going to basically just serve as the company that gets all the money and then hires these other firms that can do the job correctly. Isn't that right? Right. That's also what the reporting says. Um, yeah. Now, we heard um, something from uh, Elon Musk and Tesla earlier saying, we'll do it. Um, and and um, you would figure that we could really take this initiative and say, okay, we have to build a energy system, a new grid or whatever way you want to talk about it in an island. It's a great experimental area to go into. Of course, you need to get them service um, and not just use them as an experiment. But the point is, as far as doing it long term, there's a way for us to really kind of maybe break out. And this seems like the same old uh, inside corruption deal. I mean, it's like it's not even being um, thought of when they're trying to do the appropriation. They're just trying to just give this money to this firm. And heck, who knows? They could keep 50 million. Um, and it could go up. They could say all of a sudden it's $500 million. I mean, what are you going to do? Just stop with a power grid? Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see what the final um, uh, bill is, and I'd love to see how they actually put it together and whether it can withstand a similar um, uh, storm. Right. Now, I guess FEMA and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, who are mostly responsible for evaluating these contracts, they've reportedly distanced themselves from the white one. Uh, I guess FEMA, I don't know, given what a mess FEMA is these days, is not really talking to the media, and the Army Corps was not going to comment. Um, but, it, it, again, this deal just seems it, so, so illegitimate uh, that it's not even funny. And it just, it just shows how tone-deaf, frankly, the people in Trump's cabinet are, that they didn't think at all how bad this was going to look. To people again outside of this bubble, or even know it. Um, I mean, I mean, I think that's the important yeah, thing is that have, you know, true. but they know when, it now, given it's getting a lot of news coverage. So you know, and that's uh, and that's the, the the you know the danger always when you have a president who doesn't have process in place or says he's going to empower people. Um, there's one thing when you when you screw up a uh, an open house at a at a condo project. 
um, and you just go, oh, that person didn't do it and they're gone. It's different when you hire those sorts of people and they go and, and, and try to award $300 million contracts on behalf of the United States government. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those scary, you know, you know, parts to a presidency that doesn't have any accountability and has a lot of people that are looking just to make money. And it reminds me of the old, you know, what, what, what I learned in history books from what happened during U.S. Grant's administration. And it'll probably end up having the same sort of stigma attached to it. And I don't know. That's the, that's the way I see it. Um, are we ready to move on to our next one? Yes. NAFTA. The lovely NAFTA negotiations. Um, people are saying it could damage Mexican-American relations. What do you think about that one, Karen? Well, I, I actually covered a forum uh, last week on, on where this all is with participants. Now, they're not directly involved in negotiations. I should say that very clearly. Uh, but you had you know, a former U.S. ambassador, you had a representative from the governor of, government of Canada, plus a Mexican national who is extraordinarily knowledgeable in these issues. He's with the University of California, San Diego. And to be honest, their outlook was not particularly upbeat. Basically, the overall vibe was that Canada and Mexico have been the adults in the room, but the U.S. negotiators, and this is not to malign all of them, are just trying to carry out Donald Trump's demands of scrapping this if it somehow doesn't favor the U.S. overwhelmingly. Which, I mean, you know, no country in its right mind is going to say to one of the actors, oh, yeah, sure, we'll give you everything, with nothing for us. Now, I'm being a little bit flippant here, and excuse me, but of course Trump has made a lot of noise about NAFTA. He made it one of his big campaign themes and has basically said, again, the deal should be scrapped if it can't really benefit the U.S., uh, you know, officials from the two nations, I guess, have been, according to this latest CNN report, are meeting with the counterparts from Peru and Chile uh, to discuss, a, you know, another type of, of trade deal. Um, but, but, you know, the two nations being Canada and Mexico. So this is that the, they're, they're meeting to discuss this other type of deal if maybe the U.S. really doesn't want to cooperate here. And it also may be, according to the CNN article, Canadian officials are hinting that it may be a message to Trump in the U.S. that, you know, look, we're not going to be pushed around by you. We're going to fight for what's ours in this deal. And, you know, you're going to have to come up with something that is more equitable to all three players. Um, I mean, NAFTA has been in place for 25 years now. And there's no question that some jobs in this country have been lost from it. But overall, most analysts, even those who are not, all that big on free trade have said, in general, it's been a pretty good deal for all three nations. Uh, It's imperfect. Um, I think it's troubling that you're seeing Mexico and Canada say that they're going to be meeting with other nations because they don't at this point. Now, that could change because we're only in round four of these negotiations. So there may be positive developments here in the near future. But... To me, I think to to the business community in this country, which, by the way, is not in favor overall of pulling out of NAFTA, you know, that can't be a good sign that Canada and Mexico are looking elsewhere. Yeah. And, you know, I always had, you know, being alive and being a voter when NAFTA was was being, you know, debated and and, and finally passed, you know, I, I, I had always seen it as the idea of, well, let's get something out of the fact that 
corporations are looking to go to Mexico because they can set up factories there um, for cheaper. And we're not just, we're going to lose the jobs anyway. We're going to lose some jobs anyway. And we live in a global economy now. We have to understand that. Um, where there's, they're able to do manufacturing processes and also have lower labor costs, those products are going to win in the retail marketplace. And that idea was kind of accepted, but then we wouldn't also have to pay tariffs uh, or pay for the tariffs on goods then that were arriving into the United States that were made by U.S. companies who just moved their factory to Mexico or to, to, you know, even to Canada in certain ways. But it was really a place for Canada and the United States to send some factory jobs and get lower costs. Um, what then do you do when you already have factories there? Well, the only thing that's going to do is raise your costs if you try to change a, a, any of that and make there be taxes and tariffs on importing of goods anymore. Um, I don't know. It just seems like it's, it's again, uh, you know, it's like the whole philosophy of tax cuts um, and Obamacare, all these things that Republicans ran on and pushed that they knew really weren't true. But it was the only way that they could attack things that were successes. Um, but was just by beating on them, even though they really, in their heart of hearts, knew they weren't true. Just like we know that, uh, you know, uh, Eric Cantor came out and said, "Well, we knew that, you know, we shouldn't repeal Obamacare, but we said it anyway." Um, and and I think a lot of people know the same thing about about NAFTA because a lot of these large corporations feel that way. And and it's also the same thing with trying to strengthen Mexico if they don't like. Uh, people flooding here from from south of the border, um, you know, Mexico as a as a strong uh, middle class allows the, uh, folks there to want to stay in a in a in a in a place that's pretty nice. It's not like it's horrible, except that there's not much opportunity. There's not a very strong middle class. Um, it's like an oligarchy in Mexico, and people want to get rid of that. And and by empowering them to having better jobs, is not necessarily a bad thing. And it all that plays together and it just doesn't make much sense to me um, why you would want to go back 25 years later, as you said, and, and, and scrap the whole thing. Well, right. One of, one of the things that was the panelists, I think from Canada uh, at this event I attended the other night, basically said, look, the genie's out of the bottle. You can't put it back in. All right. And the U S business community is warned. If, if you're really going to mess with NAFTA or dissolve it, that's going to have, in their words, catastrophic economic consequences in this country. Um, you know, again, I, I think another thing that many people in this whole debate are saying, you know, NAFTA does need to be modernized. It needs to look at the sure. new world of technology, sure. how, you know, people are working from home now. There are, you know, you can work from anywhere you could be working in India, for example, and and be sending your your work to the United States, and vice versa, or you know, the Netherlands to Mexico, or Canada to uh, South Africa. I mean, we just we're living in a borderless economic world in that sense. So I, I think the most common sense thing to me would be to yes, work on those parts of NAFTA that are simply outdated. But, again, the idea of scrapping this deal, it just seems ludicrous at this point. Uh, you know, I guess we're going to see where the further negotiations go. But it, it's, it is unsettling to see that, that right now it, it, there's an impasse. And if they can't fix that, where does that leave all three players involved? Yeah, just, it, again, this is unclear. 
at this point. Yeah, and again, I think, uh, you know, the other important thing I think to remember is that for all the talk that Donald Trump has had, um, you know, it's the Commerce Clause of the Constitution uh, gives the Congress the power to Mm -hmm. actually um, to terminate U.S. participation. Um, And, you know, it would really be down to... um, to to Congress to do this. Now he can try to start um, some sort of renegotiations. He can do all that, but it has to be Congress that's going to pass these things. And I just don't ever see that passing Congress, just like everything else he's he's proposed. Um, I don't well, think right. tax reform I, passes. You know, I, I don't think. think that, yeah. I don't NAFTA think NAFTA passes. For the base, but and and I'll, one other quick aside here. I remember what listening to Marketplace, which is a public radio NPR, business show. Right. Right. And very informative, but they, they went out and asked a lot of people on the street. They have been New York, they have been L.A., could have been Indiana or Chicago or Florida, wherever. What does NAFTA mean? And none of them could even, they didn't know what the acronym meant. I remember listening to this and thinking, that's not good. I, I think, frankly, for a lot of Americans, just if they don't know much about NAFTA, they need to start educating themselves. Candidly, and I get it. You know, nobody has free four hours a day, especially when you're raising a family and and have other responsibilities like your you know day job to be doing that. But I, most Americans, I don't think, understand how NAFTA, the role NAFTA plays in their lives, and why it matters, and why they need to be paying attention to these negotiations because it will affect them. I mean, certainly it has affected a lot of Americans already in the last quarter century. Well, Karen, I want to thank you again for your time this morning. I think we've had a great discussion. And by the way, that's North American Free Trade Agreement for those of you who are... Yes, we should have said that. North American Free Trade Agreement. Thank you. Gracias. Merci. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for for those of you who are out there going, yeah, Karen, what is NAFTA and why aren't you telling me? My bad on that. I I apologize, (laughs) listeners. I really do. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Karen. And Karen and I are going to be back again next week. Um, you can, just in case you can't get enough and uh, we might try to do our five points next time uh, we haven't really talked about exactly what we're going to be talking about but we'll have something else insightful informative for you maybe we'll even have a guest in that time I'm still shooting for somebody we'll see what happens but Karen thanks again for your time um, thank you and, and thank you everybody out there who listens and for your participation we'll talk to you again next time everybody thanks